Hello and welcome to another episode of Love and Citizenship. I am very excited about this episode because Sinead, who is our guest today, is truly one of the most incredible humans I know. And you you will get every sense of what I'm about to say in the podcast episode. But the thing that I'm absolutely most grateful for is her capacity to just never hold back and hold people accountable and just show up as her complete honest self. And it's 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 the way that she wears that vulnerability on her sleeve. It's something that I've really tried to incorporate into my own life. So it's it's truly been an honor to have her on the podcast and have the conversation that we had. Of course, we started talking about her life, kind of no fucks to give attitude that Sinead very much has and how, how she kind of developed that or what that journey was like. But through our conversation on this podcast, a lot of things that we would have talked about outside of this podcast kind of really came in. And I'm really, really grateful that it did because we did talk a lot about body image issues, body positivity, the role that pornography has played in both our lives and how how we've we've learned to be the people that we are today. And hopefully with the absolute knowledge that there is a lot of growth that still lies ahead of us. We're also now coming towards the end of this season of the podcast. So two more episodes to go after this one. And then there's the final outro episode that I'm very, very much excited about. And you'll hear more about it over the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, once again, thank you so much for tuning into this this podcast. And it means the world. It really does that you're, you're tuning in and you're listening to this episode. And if you're a new listener, if this is the first episode that you're listening to, I would highly encourage that you check out the episodes before. I do believe we have a good selection of guests and topics that I think might be of interest to you. But that is all from me. If you like what I do, if you like these episodes, if you think you want to support the podcast, follow us on our channels. Do spread the word. I have no publicity budget. So word of mouth is basically how this is operating. And if you want to financially support me, there is a Patreon that will be linked down below. But that is all from me. Without further wait, the absolute gem of a human being, somebody that I'm very, very glad to have on the podcast, the wonderful Sinead Lane. Hello. That was such a nice introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Blowing smoke up my ass. I hope I live up to that now. Yeah. So I'm Sinead. I am 22 years old. Mm-hmm. I have a degree in uh, community development and youth work. So mm-hmm. um, I've just recently graduated. That's something I'm passionate about and something that I'm proud of achieving in that in my short time on this earth. And mm-hmm. um, I am a feminist. I am a humanist, socialist, mm-hmm. pilo-pecto-vegetarian on given days and all around just full-time mad bastard. So that's me in a nutshell. I'd like to add an all around amazing human as well. Thank you. And thank you for having me. When I was thinking about having people on for the second season, you were one of the first people I wanted on because you're never you never hold back on holding people accountable. And Mm -hmm. you you absolutely in in a way that I would be too terrified sometimes. And I'm, I'm curious to explore why that is. But I'm forever in awe of your capacity to just show up as yourself and just be who you are. And like I said, you're, you're an inspiration to me in a, in a big, big way. Thank you. And to, to kind of start, maybe kind of set the foundation of a lot of the conversation that we will have. What was your journey of growing up in Ireland? What was the process, I suppose, in accepting these different parts of you that I can imagine very early on, you either weren't always proud of or even accepting of? Mm-hmm. 
I never felt like I belonged anywhere, I suppose. And that goes back to from very, very early childhood. I I spent a lot of my childhood in my grandparents' house mm-hmm. and they lived quite far away from where I was living with my mom and my sister. So my mom was a single parent. So it was her and me and my sister mm-hmm. living in Cavan. And then my grandparents lived about 20 minutes away. But I suppose my grandparents used to mind me and my sister quite a lot. So we spent a lot of time with them. And we eventually, when it was time to go to school, we went everywhere beside my grandparents' house because it was easier. And even starting school, I started... See, it's weird in the country because it, it was like not even just in the country, but in the country country. Like schools are weird because they're like, we need as many children as we can get. We don't care what age you are or whatever like that. So... I was starting, I started school when I was only just turned five in the November and obviously school started in the September. Mm -hmm. So I didn't start junior infants until like halfway into the year for some reason. So even then it was like missed, you know, I wasn't in that same space everyone else was with meeting people for the first time and Mm -hmm. having that first day together. So my first day was, I was completely by myself and, you know, that kind of a thing. And then I had to repeat the year again. And it was, you know, all new people and that kind of a thing. So it was Mm -hmm. was very, very strange. And then we, me and my sister moved schools. And that was when I was in senior infants. So again, I was moving into a new space with new people. Mm -hmm. So I never really quite felt like I belonged there. And then, you know, a lot of people say, where are you from? And I never really knew where I was from. Mm -hmm. And then it was primary school. I stayed in that school then until sixth class. And that was, it was difficult times. You know, I was always kind of, I had friends, but I wouldn't say I had, you know, true friends or I, I was kind of a tag along or I'd kind of act out to get people's acceptance or to make people laugh or, you know, kind of misbehave a little bit to kind of fit in and that kind of thing. So I was kind of in trouble quite a lot in school, mostly just, you know, I was definitely a bit of a wild child, wise beyond my years, like just really just new stuff I shouldn't have known and also like very confused about my sexuality a lot of the time as well and I think that pre-teen era just before you go in secondary school when you're like 10 11 12 I think that's nearly worse than you know going through puberty and going through that the teenage years because you just feel physically you feel so strange you feel like a stranger in your body and you you don't realize at that age that everyone's going through the same thing and you're like why is this happening to me and I remember there was days where I just wanted to cry so bad and I couldn't understand what it was yeah and then like things started to get really bad in school in terms of my emotions towards school I hated it I literally hated it so much Mm -hmm. Sunday night would come and I'd be like feeling sick and I'd be crying and I didn't want to go to school and I just had such anxiety and I was already kind of suffering with a little bit of anxiety and depressive mood and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And my mom was quite worried about me. So she had brought me to a, the doctor and a couple of, she brought me to the psychologist and a couple of different things. They had kind of surmised that changing schools would probably be the best option for me. Okay. I went to the other school and mm-hmm. um, I did have a lot of issues in the first school in that I was very different. I I dressed a lot differently to my peers. I liked different things to what they would have liked. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked different music. I was I didn't act the way they acted. Um, a lot of them were from you know very good middle class. Mm-hmm. I would have been from a very working class background. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of you know pent up anger and uh, emotion and all this different kind of thing. And 
I suppose that affected the way I acted as well. Mm-hmm. So I just, I used to get a little bit of stick from, you know, people telling me I was weird and, you know, that the way I dressed was weird and I'd get jeered at a few times. And it didn't really bother me all that much. Yeah. But I, I know the weird thing, like, really did impact me because my whole life, like, from primary school, people were always like, oh, you're so weird, you're so weird. And I don't think it was meant malicious way because that's just kind of how people go on. But it did really affect me and, you know, make me feel honored. So mm-hmm. I guess I kind of just took that, took that identity on. So I set about my journey to my new school here mm-hmm. and it was absolutely not what I was expecting. Obviously, as I said, then I had no friends. So mm-hmm. I was just, I was literally going to school, no friends, mm-hmm. didn't have anyone to hang around with. I, I remember like going to the bathroom. This is so pathetic and sounds like from like a sort of movie or something, but I was eating my lunch by myself one and I was just so embarrassed and everything like didn't want anyone to see me by myself and then I think I was just like I don't really care you know okay like and I had so much anger in me I don't know what what it was over it was probably like everything because I was still so young and it was just kind of misdirected anger and I was like I don't care about anyone or anything and I kind of started acting out in school a little bit more and they, I ended up getting referred to what's called what was called at the time behavioral support unit, okay. and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Am like, I picturing a very rudimentary like mental health support? It was like a room. It was it was basically a prefab, and it was like go out and put like it was. I remember they had these little cards that were like cut out, and they had all feelings written on them. So it was like categorize these into feeling groups it was like sad happy and I was like what the fuck like they were treating it as if I was like a child that is horrible I was like this is ridiculous like I there's nothing wrong with me mm-hmm. I was just like going through a lot and the way that it was dealt with was just so bad on the behalf of the school and I remember I to kind of skip school a lot and I got caught doing that a few times to the point where we had a meeting where it was me my mom school counsellor and the school counsellor she was just horrible she told my mom that I was her exact words were Sinead is throwing her toys out of the pram because she can't get her own way and you know just saying all this about me and I was like you have no idea like no one sat me down and said you know what what's wrong or you know how do you feel or anything like that because I was going through so much in my head mm-hmm you know with all the different feelings isolation and loneliness and guilt and shame and anger and you know then there was stuff going on at home as well and it was just unknown really but I managed to pull myself out of that kind of thing and I had the support from my my nanny she's like my whole life she's been a huge support to me she's been my my lifeline really she was always there always rooting for me and I think she was always so like that and she always said to me like it doesn't matter what people think she'd always have these little sayings like um empty vessels make the most noise and you know she'd say things like in your bills like you don't owe them anything you don't owe anybody in this lifetime anything mm-hmm. and she was always there just like to be a sounding board and support me so it just got to a point where I was like I don't care I started doing my own thing and even in relation to like little things I don't know if you can relate to this, but like the slightest thing is so embarrassing. Like being in yeah. the rain, holding an umbrella is so embarrassing. Yeah. Like you'd rather just stand there and get drenched yeah. <laughs> than be seen holding an umbrella. 
Yeah. And it was things like that where people would be so embarrassed. And I was just like, no, I'm going to bring an umbrella to school. And I remember like my nanny would always buy me these big, massive winter coats that weren't, you know, very fashionable, but I'd wear them because it was cold and no one else wore a coat to school because it wasn't cool to wear a coat to school. And so yeah. I suppose my later years in secondary school is when I really started to come into myself, yeah. started to focus on me and get what I want, get out of school. Yeah. Um, and as I, was, as I got older, that confidence grew as well. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> it was a very long tangent. <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate that answer because to, to have the reference of your journey to, you know, supplement or support the, you know, where you are and who you are right now is probably the best way to do it because the things that I do want to talk about kind of need that. It's interesting though, and I found it really interesting when you were talking about how when you were a kid, everything literally, you, you're constantly worried about how people are seeing you and what people are thinking about you. And I think I'm, I'm so glad that you had your, your, your nanny to kind of be the voice in your life where she could tell you that, you know, don't give a fuck about what these people have to say. Because mm-hmm. at that similar age, I was in a boarding school and I didn't have anybody telling me to be like, hey, listen, these things that people think about you pay no credence to this. So for me, yeah. it took me coming to college to let go of like, I had severe body image issues because I was worried that people are going to be like, oh, he's either not big enough or too mm-hmm. big, which mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's weird. It, it, it was it was super weird. So difficult. Yeah. And I can imagine like especially being a male, you know, yeah. it's just it's it's so difficult. But like my nanny, she just I remember, you know, she knew I was going through a tough time. And every morning I'd walk down for the bus and every single morning without fail. Mm -hmm. she would ring me on my walk to the bus and she would say you should be so proud of yourself you're such a fantastic young woman you've come so far Mm -hmm. all these like every single morning so it was like you know like when you're doing positive affirmations with yourself like she was doing that for me every single morning and like after school as well every single day after school she'd ring me and say how did you get on how was this and you know if I was telling her about someone she'd say you know don't worry about them they're not paying your bills you know Mm -hmm. they have their own issues and you know so she was just without her like I literally would not be here talking to you and she's still alive and she's a star she's fantastic so your your grandmother sounds incredible and I'm so so glad that you have because as a kid I think it's so helpful and it's important to have those positive affirmations Mm -hmm. from like people of you know as as a kid who you see as authority figures in your life so I'm I'm really glad that you have that Um, I know I touched on body positivity and body image there very briefly and I'm forever curious about people's journeys of, you know, accepting their themselves. And you're dead on. I think for me, my body image or the issues that I faced with my body image came from the perspective of, you know, society telling me that men need to look a certain way, which Mm -hmm. by which I don't know, the time I was growing up was look like Captain America, which I think is a very unhealthy way to have a body because you have to really kill yourself to look like that. I always say that, like about bodybuilders, I'm always saying, like, yeah, they look great, but ask them to run a lap. Yeah. Just ask them to run a lap and see what happens. Exactly. And so for me, kind of growing up in an environment with the young men, all striving to look like those men, and I never looked like them, it 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 left to certain things. And I'm I'm now kind of in a place where like even if I don't work out for like, you know, a couple of weeks, I'm okay. I'm not blaming myself, but there was a time I was starving myself. And I'm very curious because for anybody listening in, if you follow Sinead or I mean, you should absolutely follow Sinead on social media. 
you're possibly one of the first people I ever encountered in my immediate circles who had a conversation or who was pushing people to have a conversation about loving their body and loving themselves. Mm-hmm. What I'm very curious about is I can imagine for you growing up in a world where like the bodies of women are always a matter of critique and are always constantly, you know, objectified. What what was that like? Because I'm guessing it wasn't easy at all. So so what's the process of like accepting yourself and accepting your own body been like for you? Yeah, so I suppose I would very similar to what I can imagine a lot of other Irish people. Um, my I grew up in the early 2000s, and um, it was that era of you know Paris Hilton and. Mm-hmm you know, models, uh, Tyra Banks, very, very slim, very skinny. It was, I think it was called like heroin chic. Okay. You know, these people looked emaciated because they were living off, you know, coffee and cigarettes. And and it was a thing of where my mom, still to this day, Mm -hmm. was just constantly on a diet. Mm -hmm. All these different things. She was constantly on a fad diet. And I remember so clearly every time that she'd go out on the weekend and we'd have our babysitter there watching us. And before she'd leave, Every single time she'd say to the babysitter, does my bum look big in this? <laughs> Every single time. And the babysitter would always say, no, no, you look great. You look fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I laugh at that now looking back because if I asked someone, does my bum look big in this? And they said, no. I'd be like, what? Like, look, when I think about that, I realized that bodies go through trends, just like fashion. Yeah. So like years ago, it was the trend to be slim and boobs are really in. So breast implants were a huge trend. and you know, really, really slim body, kind of almost like a boyish body. Yeah. And then it kind of changed to the kind of BBL sort of slim, thick, you know, mm-hmm. really, really big bum, the Kardashian kind of um, trend. And yeah. people were getting their implants removed and all that. That's a different story. But like, I just realized that things go through trends and people make such permanent decisions based on, you know, a trend. And it, it really is scary. So yeah. I always kind of seen my, my mom like that. And you know, never loving her body and just doing crazy things like, you know, only having shakes every day for like breakfast, lunch and dinner yeah. or having like like one meal a day. And then the rest, like I think it was a diet where it was like two bowls of special care and then just like a meal and always going to Weight Watchers and always going to Slimming World. And then she'd say, I'm not going back to Weight Watchers. The skills are rigged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she'd be like, do Slimming World instead. And then she'd, you know, always doing something. And that's very difficult especially and obviously you know she wasn't trying to put that on us but when you're you know, raising young women it, it's very difficult for that not to you know translate mm-hmm. I was always aware of my body especially being a woman I think women are just made aware of their bodies and I think especially kind of as uh, as you mentioned like objectification and seen as objects of sexual pleasure and I remember mm-hmm. like the first time I ever kind of became aware of I think I was like four four or five years old and I I was out playing I was I went to one of my friend's houses and I knocked on her door and I was just waiting for you know her to open the door and I remember these two but these two young boys um came up and they just I remember I was wearing um like a hoodie with a zip and they just they zipped down the hoodie and they like pulled open my top from the top of like from the neck Mm -hmm. and just looked down my top and then ran away and I remember like feeling I was so strange. And even now, like looking back, it was, I don't, I don't know where I had learned to feel like this, but I remember I was so upset, but I was so embarrassed. Yeah. And I remember I, I burst into tears instantly and I ran home 
And obviously my mom was like, you know what happened? And I don't know why, but I didn't tell her because I was so ashamed, mm. you know, at such a young age to feel shame around, you know, around obviously, I wouldn't even say breasts because they're not breasts at that age. It's just, you know, your chest when you're, when you're a child. So that was interesting. And that's the earliest experience I can remember of, you know, my, my body being aware of it in, in that kind of way. And as a woman, as you, as you go on um, in life, you do experience a lot of that. And I, my heart can, can say I've never met a woman who hasn't experienced some sort of sexual harassment or violence. And that could be yeah. anything, you know, from cat calls or whatever. And yeah. even like when I, I remember I worked in a nightclub and most nights I would be sexually assaulted and it just seemed so normal like men would just grab me and grope me and it was just a part of the job kind of thing it was never like I'd go into the bathroom like and cry and then I'd come back out and just you know get on with it and that kind of a thing and I think that's just something that women have learned to get on with and I remember the first time that I had a quite a severe um experience of sexual violence Mm-hmm. afterwards I was just like okay it was more of like it wasn't like I can't believe this has happened it was more like it was it was it's hard to explain but it's more of a case of what when is it going to happen as opposed to if it happens yeah. and I was like okay now it's happened but I suppose that's kind of separate from the issue of body image and um, and I suppose my my in my experience of body image and um, from quite a young age I discovered uh pornography and I know that's something that you had yeah, I don't know if you've discussed it on your podcast, but something that I, I don't know, um, that you had mentioned before, yeah, and um, when we were talking, and how you know how damaging that is on yeah. the young, the young mind. It's so incredibly bad. So I'm looking at all this pornography when I'm like 11, 12 years old, and I'm mm-hmm. seeing all these women with these bodies, and I'm just like, okay, this is this is the ideal woman. This is what men like. And I suppose my experience with body image is is a little bit different in that. You know, I do post a lot about um, body confidence on my Instagram, but I suppose you probably know it's more so in relation to, you know, sex organs and that kind of a thing. And, you know, loving your body uh, as a woman and loving, you know, loving your breasts and loving your, you know, vulva and vagina and different things like that. Um, and even, you know, as a man, but I obviously I can't speak from that perspective, but I, I would promote that a lot as well because, you're looking at this this pornography and women are all perfectly shaved, perfectly manicured. Um, and what's interesting is it's always the women that are yeah. like perfect, but the men don't seem to be. I mean, you barely see the men and unless it's the penis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, they don't always have these amazing looking men, you know, yeah. by conventional standards yeah. or it's not always slim men mm-hmm. or, you know, built men or hairless men or anything like that. So. Yeah. I remember looking at these women and then looking at myself and it's 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 actually incredibly sad now that I look back and I feel such empathy for myself because I, I remember being like 12, 13, 14, 15, literally a child, like a child's body. I'd be like, why don't I look like these women, yeah. these adults, women? And it's I used to get so upset about it and so embarrassed and so ashamed. And it's I was kind of at that age, you know, where you're you're seeing boys and you're kind of experimenting with them and mm-hmm. you're like so I remember being so ashamed of my body and being like, you know, I don't want to do things with boys because I don't look like this. And what if they hate me? And and this is like, this is so deep. But like, I remember particularly like being so embarrassed and ashamed about how my vulva in particularly looked. I was like, I hate this so much. Like I 
can't stand this I was like the minute I turn 18 I'm going to get like I don't know what the technical term is but basically like surgery where they like you know they tidy it up and make it look nice I'm doing air quotes so you can't can't see my um so it would look like these porn stars or whatever and I remember like going to my mom when I was like 14 or 15 and like met like very very briefly and casually dropping the conversation that idea of surgery into conversation I think she was like what are you talking about like she was just baffled and I was like oh never mind you know so that was on my mind from such a young age and it's so ridiculous it's the most ridiculous thing yeah you know looking back because I I did a lot of googling around that time like I remember googling like I don't like the way and I use the word vulva now because that's the the anatomically um correct word yeah so I remember googling like I hate my vagina I hate the way it looks I'm so embarrassed Mm -hmm. and I, I remember like looking on these forums and some of them were actually really lovely okay. like the, there was a lot of people being like those jobs but it was male validation that unfortunately mm-hmm. was what made it better for me but it was like people were like well I'm a man and I think vaginas look lovely and mm-hmm. all this kind of thing and I was like okay yeah that, that's that's nice yeah but I remember there was one comment and it was some man and he was like vaginas are like roses <laughs> he was like and the, the lips are the petals and I was like oh yeah that, that's a nice analogy I'll go with that I'll take that validation from some random man who I've never met yeah but yeah I always kind of carried that still you know that shame and stuff but it was oh it's only kind of in the last few years when you know there's different programs and stuff I'd be watching on you mm-hmm. know different documentaries about sex education and vulvas and it did be talking about how they're all different and they all look different and yeah. there's this it's a piece of art it's called the wall I think it's the wall of vaginas or the wall of vulvas or something and basically it's just like a plaster cast of all these different mm-hmm. vulvas mm-hmm. and they all look so different it's actually it's it's lovely I think they have one with penises as well and it's just yeah. stuff like that is just not shown to young people do you know what I mean like it's yeah. so that's why I post a lot around like loving you know breasts because breasts like everyone's are different do you know yeah. vaginas vulvas penises every single person has a different one and need to learn to embrace it and love it and it's so difficult when all the messaging out there is like you should be embarrassed of this or you should be ashamed or you know so many different like jokes people make and and that it goes for men as well do you know what I mean it's 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 patriarchy and it's toxic masculinity and it doesn't serve anybody I always say that toxic masculinity doesn't it doesn't serve men it doesn't serve anyone and it's you know, we need to be putting these images out because there is some fantastic graphics and images out there of really, really positive sex education and positive body image. And I think that's so important to share with young people and say, you know, some people look like this and some people look like that. And at the end of the day, it's yours to share with who you want to share it with. And, you know, they should be lucky that they're even, you know, getting to have the opportunity to see you or be intimate with you or see that part of you. You know, and how dare anybody say anything negative about anything to do with you? Because I remember, like, I had that, like, men saying stuff about me, and I was like, "What?" And now I'm like, the cheek. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) the absolute cheek. Like, so if that makes sense, you know, it's if if I if I had to kind of put a a wrapping on that, I would say people is getting the chance to be intimate with you. They are so lucky and privileged, and they should, you know. You shouldn't want to be with anyone who doesn't understand that and appreciate you and love everything. Not that they have to love everything about Uh you, but appreciate, you know, your body and that you want to share it with them. And I think it's really important to put that 
message out there to young people. So that's kind of where I'd be on, on body image. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we brought porn into this. I, I did not expect that that would come into the conversation, but it, you've, you've brought it in in such like an essential way because, okay, are you ready? This is going to be your rant. I'm ready. I'm so ready. You and I have had a conversation about my, my struggle with porn. For anybody listening in, I'm actually, this is, this is, again, I have a draft of an essay that I will at some point when I feel like it's at a stage. Because much like you, much like you're talking about, it's about, you know, putting something positive for younger generations. For me, I want to make sure that the essay that exists about my struggles with pornography, whenever that comes out, that it is, I don't know, it's a lifeline for anybody that's either had that struggle for somebody to learn from that and go you know you don't need to struggle with this because i start i was introduced to porn when i was nine and yeah wow that's very young yeah we used to have an old windows 95 pc and it was a folder and i in my many ways i i'd figured out how to view hidden folders when i was nine so i went into like the like deep into the system files and found this folder so i was like what the fuck is this so before I even could understand or had any sexual response to those imagery, they were burned in my mind. And yeah. it's ridiculous that the first time I masturbated wasn't to the thought of like my own imagination, but to mm-hmm. an image that was on a screen. So my sexual journey started with pornography, which, you know, people, when, when, when I used to tell this story in boarding school, used to be like, oh my God, what a legend. Yeah. No. No, no, <laughs> because I will tell you, and we we kind of said this in pornography, women are portrayed a certain way. And like pornography has gone through its trends as well of like having women with very big voluptuous breasts to, you know, the hourglass bodies. It's It's been a transition. But so so that's the kind of beauty standard that I was shown. And then the only thing that I could see reflected of a man in an act of you know sexual intimacy was a penis. And so the messaging that came down to me at such a young age was, as a man, the only thing that matters about me is my penis. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is probably yeah. That's it. That's actually very interesting that you've had that kind of condition and that perspective on it. Yeah. And one of the things that I want to do, maybe you know, I send cold emails to people hoping that they come onto the podcast, and I think part of me is still quite, at least by at the time that we're recording this, quite uncertain about this but I will do it and I make this commitment now as we're recording this (laughs) for season three I'm going to send an email to one of my favorite porn directors Erica Lust if anybody's heard of her she's incredible she does feminist porn in like the most artistic and beautiful way which like it's it's she she captures the intimacy that exists and the sensuality that exists in lovemaking as opposed to just like you know 30 minutes of a hump fest which is mm-hmm. not what sex is at all, as anybody who's ever had sex knows. I, I, I wish now, as I say this, I had access to any of that because poor little old me would have had so many less issues to deal with because to kind of jump ship, and this can be a whole goddamn podcast on its own. But when, when I started becoming sexually active, my idea of what sex was, it's all about my penis. My early days of like Googling, you know, when, when I was like, oh my God, we're about to have sex was how do I last 30 minutes in bed? Mm-hmm. It was these weird, like, it, it wasn't even about, like, you know, how how do I make sex positive and comfortable and, you know, enjoyable mm-hmm. for both people involved? It was about how do I last longer? How do I enhance my pleasure? And yeah, for the longest absolutely. time, it, 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 I, I saw women as a means to an end. 
it wasn't an equal partnership in play. It was, mm -hmm. this is my orgasm. And that is a very problematic place. And that's not, that's not your fault. You know, it's, it's the way people are conditioned. And yeah. that's the thing about porn. It's like, it's so unrealistic. Yeah. And as you said that, like anyone who's had sex knows that, that it's not what happens at all. And yeah. oh, it's, it's a whole, this is a whole different conversation, but it's just, I think porn is just the root of all evil in our society. But in saying that, like, I'm not against porn because mm -hmm. when done right, it's, it's, you know, it can be a really good tool. It's, it's extremely normal to look yeah. at porn so normal and I remember like when I was younger and I got caught watching porn yeah. my mom was just absolutely disgusted like she just couldn't get over it and it was I remember her being like this is for men this isn't for women this is for men this is not for you mm -hmm. do you know and there's such a stigma around you know girls watching porn and girls you know masturbating yeah. or girls pleasuring themselves and that's a whole different conversation but you know it's it's so normal and it needs to be done in a positive way that shows mm -hmm. Everything from you know all the awkward bits, all the funny bits, because yeah. you know sex is funny and awkward yeah. and weird and great and all these different things. Mm -hmm. So it just if if done properly, it can be it can be good. And you know there is people as you had mentioned your, your director there that that you like and you know I know a couple of different. Well, I don't know them personally, but yeah. I know there are a couple of people out there who you know make really really great feminist porn and mm -hmm. especially now with you know the rise of OnlyFans, there's a lot of yeah. couples out there and the only issue is is a lot of it is behind a paywall which fair enough you know people have to make a living but absolutely i suppose that's where the issue comes from i think you know i always make the distinction between pornography and erotica the kind of feminist porn and the sensual pornography that kind of you and i are talking about right now i almost label that as erotica okay. because pornography for me is the trashy five dudes and one wo woman kind of horrible absolutely just like disgusting kind of sex if you want to even call it that and mm -hmm. th th that is what i categorize as pornography it's it's like it's like junk food right yeah absolutely and what what i would aspire and you're dead on there is a paywall and of course there needs to be it's work and, it, and this is again a whole other conversation but like sex work is work mm -hmm. and i i i think it isn't removed from the conversation of body positivity because a lot of how we exist in this vessel that is our bodies our sexual dimension is a very big part of it sexuality is how we express our adoration uh, uh, for for the people that we choose to engage in um, sexual play with but um it's there, there's so many things that you said as well that I'm kind of I wish we had more time I know <laughs> to really get into <laughs> we could be here all night we really exactly could. <laughs> exactly I'll be honest, I might have to have you on for the second se next season as well. Oh, I'd love that. And I've the, the, the biggest process for me in being a healthier man, other than therapy, has been sitting across from the women in my life and learning about, you know, the experiences that they've gone through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you said it and I wrote about it quite recently as well, of like every woman that I know and will ever know has experienced sexual assault or sexual violence and the statistics don't lie mm -hmm. and it's not even just that you know what i mean it's yeah it's the it's the foundation of so many issues you know yeah. any type of violence not just sexual violence yeah. domestic abuse yeah. murder 
you know if you want to go up then you know femicide all these different things that's where it comes down to and it's it's all built on you know the objectification of women and you know there's always a thing of you know not all men yeah we understand that and mm-hmm. you know it's you know men get murdered and you know sexually assaulted and nine times out of ten it's by other men exactly exactly you know, that's the scary thing so, so the problem is men that that's that's the thing we've all heard this we've all heard this more in over the last few years anytime there's a conversation you will always find a couple of bros coming out and saying well it is not all men it's like why why is that your defense it's always i always find it so like sketch when someone says that i'm yeah. like it's definitely you though <laughs> yeah nobody's saying it's you uh, I'm going to use, I don't know, John. Nobody said it's you, John. But why does John have to then come forward and be like, well, uh, it's, it's you know, well, not all men are like that. We get it. Nobody's it saying it is, is all John. men. Like, do you know what I mean? Anyone who has, like, has nothing to hide or has nothing to be guilty for, I wouldn't say that. Exactly. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Exactly. I, this is, again, we, like you said, we, we could be here forever. But to, to kind of wrap it, wrap things up, I have three questions. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is kind of, in, in many ways, bringing home a lot of what we've already talked about, which is you have, for me, uh, just like you will hold people accountable. I have seen you hold people accountable. <laughs> and always. I ha- always. Your Instagram stories. Every time Sinead puts an Instagram story, it's either, you know, a message of positivity or like calling somebody out. Someone's getting called behavior. out. <laughs> exactly. And I what, what I want to know is because I, I, I'm trying to be more of that person, but I know for a fact that most people, and that includes me, would rather avoid the stress of confronting somebody or just like, you know, being open to the idea that this person will probably get back at you. Mm-hmm. But you give no quarters. You have no fucks to give. How? Mm-hmm. How do you do it? And why do you do it? So I think that kind of circles back to the beginning uh, because that comes from a place of me being extremely comfortable with myself mm-hmm. I don't have anyone to impress I don't have anybody to answer to mm-hmm. as far as I can tell I have my money I pay my bills and I don't you know I'm not looking for acceptance from anybody or you know it doesn't always co- it doesn't come from a from a malicious uh, way either because I like to open up these conversations and it's not always me saying you know I'm right and you're wrong and this is why I like to have open discussions with people who are you know willing to have them and not just you know people who are never going to change their minds so mm-hmm. I think it's really important to call people out and hold people accountable for what they do yeah. because it's I think it's it's usually now this is not just me like calling someone out for something trivial it's it's usually when someone is being oppressed or what they're mm-hmm. doing is causing some harm to someone or causing oppression for someone. And it's it's usually in relation, you know, to politics or society or something like that. And I feel I just have this innate feeling that it is my responsibility mm-hmm. to uh, be an advocate for for mostly women, mostly because I myself identify as a woman. Yeah minority groups because you know I obviously me as a white person I have that privilege and I I feel I feel obliged I really genuinely feel obliged that I you know to be an ally and do everything in my power to support people as best as I can and I just wouldn't be able to you know live it myself if I wasn't supporting women all women you know women everywhere and that's just not you know why Irish women it's women everywhere because the way I see it is you know, there's no liberation for women unless all women 
are free and have rights and you know all that kind of thing so I think it's so important to make people aware and you know empower people to you know stand up for themselves and do the same thing as I'm doing and I won't engage with people who you know are clearly trolled or just trying to fight because it's so exhausting like it really can be I remember during the time of the George and Kencho shooting where there was it was a a young black male um, in Blanchardtown was shot by the Gardaí and there was just so much kind of discourse online and everywhere about whether this was like racially motivated and all that kind of thing and it was something that I felt really really passionate about and I remember just people strangers on the internet were just I was really getting it into into it with people and it was just you know consuming me and it was awful and people were saying the most horrific things you know to me like really 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 bad say I remember there was one thing that, that really stuck with me and I've had people say crazy things to me but this really stuck with me and I'm going to say it if that's okay and um, yeah. someone had told me that I should let black people rape me as an apology for years of oppression and I was like that is the most insane thing I've ever yeah. heard in my life yeah. like where do you even come up with that because you know I will challenge people and I will debate with people and I'll call people out but I will stand by and I will always I'll put my hand on my heart and say that I will never ever make a personal attack on someone yeah or you know say well you're fat you're ugly or you know you're you live in a council house or you're just a stupid bitch you know I'll never do that because I think once you do that you know you've lost yeah you've lost the conversation and it's not something I do so I, I do it because I want to share with other people that it's it's okay to do this and it's good to do this and like I I lose a lot of followers a lot yeah. of followers when I when I do things like that and that's fine with me because I just see it as you know the trash taking itself out like I don't want you to follow me anyway yeah. and a lot of people don't want um you know they want their social media to be a place free of you know hostility and political stuff and that and that's fine too mm-hmm. I completely understand that and they have every right to just have you know pictures of puppies on their timeline yeah. and not me giving out about Leo Radker mm-hmm. but I want people to know that you know, you don't have to agree with opinions of your friends and it's okay to challenge that. And, you know, don't be silenced because I always say silence is compliance. Yeah. And I think everyone has a, has a duty to, you know, stand up for, for other people, especially if you're in that place of privilege. You know, you really, it's really important to use that to for good and not be afraid, you know, to, to use that power. Because, you know, we, we have voices and we have spaces to do that. So absolutely. I don't know why I do it, but maybe I'll think about that. <laughs> I'm very glad you do it. That's 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 all Thank I'm you. going to say. And I think the other other thing that you know I I w- would like to add to how you you know call people out on their shit is you you're never short of admitting your mistakes if you ever make them. In Absolutely. in the early days of our friendship, I remember us having a conversation about you know. Indian people in general and like how you thought I was going to be a very different person than who I am and you and I had a conversation about that prejudice and where that was coming from for you mm-hmm. and I think that made our friendship better and I'm so grateful that we had that and everyone has prejudice oh 100 you know I mean? like it's about being okay with being uncomfortable yeah. and exploring that and oh, absolutely. so I just said I'm I'm if someone comes to me and presents me with facts I am more than happy to change yeah. my opinion of something yeah absolutely and I loved you in that and I loved you know finding out new things and you know understanding as well the psychological um factors behind things kind of mm-hmm. similar to what we were discussing earlier before we started recording 
yeah. about people's reason, motivators for believing fake news and stuff and yeah. you know doing a bit of psychology in my degree I would have learned a lot about you know confirmation bias and all this yeah. kind of thing so I'm super super aware of that yeah so I bring that into my life you know I'm, I'm always happy to listen to people and I think that that's that's why I I don't want to I don't know this this sounds very putting somebody on a pedestal but I think that's why there is a level of authenticity in the way you navigate just not how you navigate yourself because that is obviously very true to you but also why I think you are the way you are on social media because you're mm-hmm. open to learning and you're I think when you know that you're not trying hard to completely defend your stance all the time and it comes back again to that yeah. being comfortable because yeah. I don't care if people like me or not I'm exactly a lot of people don't like me a lot of people yeah and I I, sometimes I say like the people people who do like me I say joking like yeah I'm not a very likable person so I you know I don't have many friends or a lot of people who like me but I know the people who do like me really like me and value that and that means more to me than anything your authenticity is contagious and inspiring thank you and in in a I'll, I'll, and I'm being very honest to to wrap it up I have two rapid fire questions are you ready I think so okay so I have a time machine I really don't but this is this is how I like to introduce <laughs> this bit so I have a time machine and when I snap my fingers I get to send you back to 10 year old you and you have an hour okay. with 10 year old Sinead what do you talk about I tell her to just you know everything's gonna be okay that's so cliche but everything's mm-hmm. gonna be okay you know be yourself you know there's so much worth living for there's so much out there yeah. if people don't like you that's that's their problem and that's mm-hmm. fine and you know it's better to be well liked by people who do like you and you know not have fake people around just be yourself always be yourself and always I think a quote I heard before that really resonated with me was um always speak your mind even if your voice shakes mm-hmm. and I'd probably say that and just say you know keep doing what you're doing because you're such a fantastic young lady and yeah. you know you 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 you're you're going to be really happy in 10 years and you're going to you're going to be where you where you want to be and you know just keep doing what you're doing that's a that's a very good answer okay here's a here's a one now now i can send you in the future i i wish i could but i will send you this episode 10 years from now and i'm curious what is your what is your hope for yourself 10 years from now well i hope that i look back on this in 10 years and i'm like she thought she knew everything and she knew nothing and I hope I've learned and I've grown and my opinions have changed again because I love that I love growth and I love mm-hmm. you know learning um, and I hope I'm still doing what I'm doing you know helping people that's all I want to do all I want to do is help and yeah. support where I can and obviously I'm working now in um, you know supporting people and that kind of thing but hopefully I'd like to be in more of the policy making levels that kind of thing you know maybe doing doing good things and getting the country on the right track and yeah. god that sounds very aspirational just getting the country on the right track <laughs> but um yeah i hope i hope i'm happy and i hope i hope we're still friends yeah. and yeah and i hope my grandparents are still around mm. and my sister i love my sister and she's my best friend in the whole entire world and she actually she always holds me to account yeah. so maybe that's where i get it from mm-hmm. And anytime I, anytime I want to do something badass or be badass, I always say I'm going to embody her. Yeah. So I'd like to be somewhere similar, but maybe, uh, you know, more knowledge, more growth, more education. And yeah, yeah. not very exciting. No, I, I, I wish that and so much for you, Sinead, honestly. And I hope Thank we're you. still friends. I hope we, we can listen to this episode 
on its 10th anniversary and have a good laugh about you know Absolutely. our notions at the time <laughs> but but I, I hope so much more has come to pass for you thank you again for for coming in today if people want to check out your social media or your work where where can they find you yeah so my instagram handle is at skinnid s-k-i-n-a-i-d okay yeah that's that's it that's not my name Sinead at Sinead Lane so just Sinead Lane L-A-N-E you'll find me there and you'll find my controversial opinions there well uh, thank you for coming into the podcast and thank you so much for having me and giving me this this platform I I'm really appreciate it and I'm, I'm so honoured to be here I couldn't believe it when you asked me so thank you so much it really is an honour because you know you've you've said to me so many times throughout this that I inspire you and but you've been a huge inspiration to me um you really really have I just because obviously we when we first met there was that like little kind of small tiny maybe (laughs) imagined power dynamic where you were you know you were above me and you were the further along with a wealth of experience so I always found you really interesting and really really inspiring and you're probably one of the first real male friends that I've had Mm -hmm. so thank you for everything you've taught me because you taught me a lot over the years especially and thank you for allowing me into your life and you know allowing me into some of your your experiences and your your intimate and vulnerable experiences as well so thank you for that i'm 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 equally grateful and uh, you know i'm glad we get to have this conversation but more than anything else i'm just very very grateful for our friendship Thank you for listening to this episode. We have another episode out next week on the Wednesday. And if you like what we do and the work that we're putting out, do consider joining our Patreon. Till then, this has been Love and Citizenship, and I will catch you in the next one.